Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. The Danites turn around to this small group of men. You know, what ails you? Why have you gathered such a company? And so he said, you've taken away my gods. Whenever somebody takes away your God, that's probably a good indication that it's really not God. If your God can be taken from you, chances are it's not real. Aren't you glad that God can't be taken away from you? He's with you to the end. Today on Truth in Christ, our scripture says, You have taken away my gods which I made. Welcome to our Bible study with Pastor Rob Kellogg. This scripture is powerful irony. Micah had to rescue his own gods. Obviously, his gods should be able to care for themselves. We wonder if Micah saw the foolishness of this. We each either worship a god of our own making or we worship the true god who made us. But the gods we make are always less than we are. Idol worship is just another way of worshiping ourselves. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. There it is, west of Kirjat Jerem. You guys know where that is, right? And so, and they passed from there to the mountains of Ephraim, and they came where? To the house of Micah, this priest, this man who was completely given over to idolatry, total compromise. He's got a, a Levite there now with him, right? So the five men who had gone to spy out the country previously of Laish, they answered and said to their brethren, Do you know that there are in these houses an ephod, household idols, a carved image, and a molded image? Now, therefore, consider what you should do. In other words, you might want to check that out and wink, wink, you know what to do, right? So they're going to go there and they're going to plunder this this place, this place. So they turned aside there, and they came to the house of the young Levite man, to the house of Micah, and they greeted him. And the 600 men, armed with their weapons of war, who were of the children of Dan, they stood by the entrance of the gate. So most cities had a gate where business was conducted. And so this 600-man army is outside the gate. And this is history, folks. This is not just an allegory. Okay, And so they come with these weapons of war. And I don't know about you, but when I read these things, I like to put myself in the place of either the person that's being attacked or the person that's attacking. And just kind of get in your mind and look at a map. And, and um, it's really wonderful to kind of uh, imagine things like that because you get a better understanding of what's happening. So when, they went, uh, in the, when these went into Micah's house, they took the carved image, notice. They took the ephod. They took the household idols and the image and the priest said to them what are you doing 
And they said to him, be quiet, put your hand over your mouth, kid, and come with us. Be a father, in other words, another term of honor. Be a father and a priest to us. It is better for you to be a priest to the household, or I'm sorry, is it better for you to be a priest to the household of one man, or that you be a priest to a tribe and a family in Israel? Cha-ching! So he's thinking to himself, what an opportunist now. He was very happy to dwell with a man, Micah, and now better digs have come along. Wow, instead of just one man, I can be a priest to this whole tribe. Opportunity knocks, and he goes running. So the priest's heart was glad, and he took the ephod, the household idols, and the carved image, and took his place among the people. Then they returned and departed and put the little ones, the livestock, and the goods in front of them. And as they do this, picture this, the deception of this. Usually when uh, an army goes to war, they always put the, the, you know, the, army, you know, the, the men up front that are really you know, the front line. But they put the little ones, they put the livestock and all their stuff first. It, it gives the semblance of what? Peace. It, it just hit me today as I read this because normally you don't do that. You don't do that. But they're going to bamboozle the, the Leshems, the, the people in Leshem, and make them feel like, wow, when these people actually start showing up on our doorstep, the, the, the kids are coming first, and then the livestock. Wow, these people must be about peace. If they were really here for war, they'd put the, uh, you know, the, the jeeps with the fifty calibers on the front, right? But they don't. So... They were, when they were a good way, good way from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house, they gathered together, and they overtook the children of Dan, and they called out to the children of Dan, and so they turned around, and they said to Micah, what is wrong with you? Why have you gathered such a company? So the Danites turn around to this small group of men, you know, what ails you? Why have you gathered such a company? And so he said, you've taken away my gods. Whenever somebody takes away your God, that's probably a good indication that it's really not God. If your God can be taken from you, chances are it's not real. Aren't you glad that God can't be taken away from you? He's with you to the end. He took my gods. I can't believe it, you filthy radical. Took my gods. I lost God. Remember that? When Mary, when they were out, Where, where's Jesus? We, we forgot God. We lost God. And I can imagine the, the God the Father just going, oh my. <laughs> so he said, you have taken away my gods, which I made, and the priest, and you have gone away. Now what more do I have? How can you say to me what ails you? And the children of Dan said to him, do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry men fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. And then the children of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his house. Naturally so. He's got this big army. They're basically saying, shut your mouth, kid, and turn around and go home, and you'll have your life, and your family will live. Sounds like a pretty good deal. I think I'll do it. So, verse 27, they took the things Micah had made and the priests which belonged to him, and they went to Laish, to a quiet people and secure, and they struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. You go there today, and they actually found the foundations of, of some of this stuff that's burned. There's so much that happened up there in Tel Dan. It's amazing. It's right at the headwaters of the, it's right below Mount Hermon, and there are some tributaries that come out of Mount Hermon 
that um, uh, streams of rivers that, that go right through the town of Dan, and you walk right over one of them. And i got to tell you, the water was incredible. I could have put pictures up, but the water is crystal clear mountain water, cold and fresh, and it's raging like a river. I mean, it is just hauling. And you walk over a bridge, and you're just like, man, I hope I don't fall over. I'll never be seen again. You remember what that was like, right? Remember? It's a wonderful place. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon. And they had no ties with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rahab. So they rebuilt the city and they dwelt there. And they called the name of the city Dan after the name of Dan, their father, who was born to Israel. However, the name of the city was formerly Laish or Leshem. And so then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved image. So they're setting up shop. And where'd they get this image? They got it from Micah down in the, in the mountains of Ephraim. So you can see just the, 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 the parallel, the, the progression of rebellion and idolatry that's ultimately going to lead there. And so they get there, and, they, uh, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, um, it could be actually the, the, the grandson of uh, Moses, many believe, And his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. So this center of worship up in Dan continued until the captivity. So we're talking hundreds of years, hundreds of years that went by. And in fact, if you remember, remember this little summary that I gave you? We look now at uh, Micah's idolatry. We looked at the Danites stealing the graven image and the Levite from Micah's home. We've looked already at the Danites' destruction of Leshem. Um, or Laish, and what's going to happen now? What's going to happen now? If we fast forward in history a few hundred years to the dividing of the kingdom after Solomon, you remember that after Solomon, when he died, the kingdom was divided. The, the northern ten tribes really became Jeroboam's, and the southern two tribes became Rehoboam's. And you remember that Jeroboam was an idolater, In fact, Jeroboam was from Ephraim himself. And what did he do? What did he do? In 1 Kings chapter, I'll just leave this up here, but let me read some passages to you. This is really interesting because now Jeroboam, this man who was from Ephraim himself, now he finds himself to be the king over the northern ten tribes. And he knows that there's a a town up in Dan that's fully, fully established in idolatry. Fully established. And so, in 1 Kings 12, verse 25, it says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there, and also he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these go up to offer uh, offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord. So remember, Jeroboam's in the northern ten tribes. Jerusalem and the temple is in Judah, right? Down in the, north, in the southern two tribes. So Jeroboam is trying to establish something so that people won't be tempted to go down and worship in the temple. Because once they do, they're going to be like, you know, I'm tired of making this trip. Let's just go back to Judah. Let's just go down there. So in order to keep them from doing that and to offer them another option, another option, what does he do? Therefore, the king asked advice. I wonder who he asked the advice from. They made two calves of gold and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron said the same thing in Exodus 32. 
The, actually, the people said that to um, Aaron after he had made the golden calf. Here are your gods, O Israel, that got you out of Egypt. And Jeroboam says the same thing. And he set one up in Bethel, and he put the other in Dan. In verse 30, now these, this thing became a sin for the people, went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And he made shrines on the high places. He made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordered, ordained a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah. The Feast of Tabernacles was on the 15th day of the 7th month. And he says, I'll do one better. We'll do it on the 15th day of the 8th month. And we'll, we'll have our idolatrous practice, and we'll just continue doing that. And it's so much smoother for people to worship an idol than it is to worship the living God if their hearts aren't right, right? So, so we did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month, in the month which he had devised in his own heart, notice, And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. It's interesting because this altar is still there in Dan. We visited it. A couple years ago, actually, the last time I was there, they they actually had, uh, there was more of it there. There was a frame, and you could actually see the frame of what it looked like. I believe it was the same size as the one in Jerusalem. They built a replica of it there, but instead of offering sacrifices and real Offerings of worship, which they weren't supposed to do anyway, they had idolatrous sacrifices. They sacrificed children on that altar. They did all kinds of wickedness. They should have been worshiping in Shiloh, but they decided they wanted to do something different. And that altar is still there this day. You can visit it and you can see it for yourself. It's amazing. And so what happens now when we look at Second Kings uh, chapter 17? What ultimately happens after this? God, for years, gives them space to repent, these northern ten tribes, for their idolatry. In fact, out of all the kings of the northern ten tribes, not one single one of them was a good king. They were all pagans. They all worshipped at the altars of Dan and Bethel. And they continued doing this year after year, year after year. God sends prophets rising up early and telling them, you better turn away, you better turn away. Ah, forget it, you're an old man, go away. And they keep doing it, they keep doing it. And finally God says, now tell them that judgment's coming. Judgment is coming. He warns them enough, and finally the hammer falls. And in 2 Kings chapter 17, it says, Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land, went up to Samaria, and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried away Israel to um, Assyria and placed them in Hala and by the Habor, the river of Gozan. They would actually, when they would transport the Israelites, what they would do is they'd put hooks through the underneath their tongue, in their jaw, and it would come out the bottom part. They'd put it in their mouth, and they would actually put them by chains together, and they would stick those hooks, and they would lead them away. And God forbid one of you should trip, because you're all chained together, right? The Assyrians were the cruelest. They were the cruelest people. And they took those tribes, those northern ten tribes, captive in 722 B.C. And so when we think about this, We look at verse 31 here. So so they set up for themselves Micah's carved image, which he had made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. What a shame. That that, last verse in there is, is really the shame of it all. It was still there. Lonely. Wondering where everybody else is at. But do you see 
what had happened. Do you see the progression? Your sin will find you out, and, and you, know, you reap what you sow. Isn't that exactly what happened? First Micah, and then the, and then the Levite, in apostasy, compromise, worshiping false gods. Then the Danites, discontent where God had placed them, decide to go up, and they, they just happen to come upon this Micah, find out what he's up to, and then they, they, the spies continue to go up north to Laish, and they go, wow, this is a great place. They come back, hey, let's great, let's get an army together. So they do, and they come back again. Now with 500 men, they destroy this man's house, or they take his idols, take his priest, and then they go up, and they kill everybody in Laish. And then while they're up there, they set up an idolatrous uh, worship center, Years go by, years go by. Now Jeroboam comes into power. He sets up golden idols, one in that same exact place, Dan, and then another one in Bethel. Time goes on, time goes on. God says, repent, repent. Forget it, we're, not, we're going to continue doing what we want to do. God finally brings judgment, brings them into captivity. Do you see the progression? There's always a progression, and very rarely happens overnight. It's usually these small little drippings. Small little things, small little compromise here, small little compromise there, and eventually it leads you completely away. Now, why do I bring this up? Turn with me and we'll, we'll end here in Romans chapter 8. How can we look at this today? I mean, the obvious answer is don't do anything stupid. <laughs> right? <laughs> but to be a little more uh, refined, uh, let's look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we'll finish here. The exhortation for us today. We'll just look here. Beginning in verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice, who do not walk according to the flesh. Was the Ephraimites, were the Danites, were they walking according to the Spirit, or were they walking according to the flesh? Certainly walking according to the flesh. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is what? It's life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity or hatred against God, for it is, in, it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And notice what he says, but you are not in the flesh, Romans, you Romans, you Calvary Chapel of Rochesterians. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Notice, you have to be born again. The spirit of God in you means you're born again. You can have the bake sales and do all the fine things, but unless the spirit of God has indwelt you, you are not a Christian. It doesn't matter what you do, how you look, how much money you give. It's not going to happen. You must be born again. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You can finish reading that chapter. There's a lot of, there's some excellent exhortation there. But the idea is don't walk in the flesh. These Ephraimites, this man Micah, the Levite, the Danites, they were all walking according to their own thing. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They were walking in the flesh. And God requires us to walk in the Spirit. And isn't it so much better to walk in the Spirit? Isn't it nice to be putting your head on the pillow at night knowing that you've done well that day? That you've confessed all your known sin to God and anything that's undone you've done? It's a good thing to serve the Lord, isn't it? It's a good thing to be right with God. So many people are not right with God. So many people are not right with God. And they have to take pills to go to sleep. And yet you, we have the peace of God. We have the peace of God because we have peace with God. We have the peace with God because of what our mediator has done on our behalf. Amen? So let's purpose this week to walk in the Spirit. Be reading your Bibles. Be in prayer. Be careful. We live in a slippery, slippery world. It's time for us, folks. It's time for the church to rise again. Not with guns and knives. (laughs) Not a militia. It's time for us to rise and be like our Father in heaven. To be like Jesus Christ, to walk with him, and to do the right things. To be totally different from the world. The world hates one another right now. Everybody's hating each other. Let's do something different. Let's love one another, regardless of what we see. Regardless of what you may even be struggling with, let's love one another. It's a choice we have to make. It's a choice, remember. Love is a choice. Let's make that choice. To love. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we thank you for this time, and we pray, God, that you would make us men and women, Lord, who love. And, Lord, help us to to draw near to you this week. Lord, come in clean with anything that we have engaged ourselves in, anything that we have uh, dwelt with our mind on. And, Lord, things that aren't right, maybe even actions that we've done, Father, please forgive us and cleanse us and heal us. And pour your spirit out upon us. And Father, I pray for anyone here tonight. That if there's anyone here in this room that does not know you. That has been wondering and and, and questioning of their salvation. Lord, I pray that you would touch them right now. And that they would even come forward afterwards. And that we could pray with them and for them. And for those of you online, if there's anyone that, that you, you feel the same way. Maybe for the first time in your life, you're like, you know what, I've, I've had enough. Please, please, I beg you, don't let this day go without talking to someone. Talk to a friend. Talk to any one of us. Talk to your Father in heaven. Get on your knees and say, Lord, I've been playing games with you. I have no idea where I'm at. I've been playing games too long, God, and you know it. Forgive me, Jesus Christ. Cleanse me and heal me and take up residence in my heart. And Lord, when we do that, we know that you will not cast us out, but you will say, welcome to the family of God when we confess our sin to you and receive the blood of Christ upon our life who 
only can forgive us from our sin. And so, Lord, please do that to the family tonight. Renew us. And for those of us who have known you for a while, Lord, help us to rededicate with newness. Restore and renew us, Lord, by the power of your Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.